You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hey, it's good to see you guys. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake, and I'm the lead pastor of Midtown Church, and I'm so glad you joined us here, either here at Baker or over Zoom. Uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. I can't think of a, a better way to begin the uh, week of Christmas, then gathering together to uh, worship our Savior. This is definitely good for our hearts, good for us to remember what Christmas is all about. Now, in contrast, let me just say that I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but um, I think the, the worst thing, or one of the worst things you could do to get your heart ready for Christmas is watching the Christmas movie, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, it's like, and now, I don't know if someone here loves that movie, but I'll tell you, uh, I actually haven't ever seen it, but I don't want to see it because in my mind, Nightmare and Christmas uh, don't go together at all, right? And so I'm never going to see it. And now, because of this year, I don't feel like I have to see it because I think that we've all lived it, right? Like 2020 has been up to this point the nightmare before Christmas, hasn't it? So, like, I don't have to see it anymore. I already know the plot. It, it's not all that great. But, um, so, you know, and, and seriously, it's like, it, it kind of weird celebrating Christmas this year because it's been a nightmarish year. I mean, it's been really scary. Do you remember back in March, right? you remember how we all thought that we weren't going to have any toilet paper anymore? And, like, all of us had that moment where we really thought, okay, if I can't find toilet paper at the store... What am I going to use instead? Like, that was a scary thought. <laughs> that was terrible. Now, of course, it, that was just the beginning. It, it actually got worse from, from there. And, and in all seriousness, it, it has been a really scary year, hasn't it? Like, a worldwide pandemic seems to do that to us. It, it makes things scary. And then you add in to that just the isolation that comes with it. And then the racism that we've experienced this year, seen played out before our eyes this year. Many of us maybe felt this year. Uh, you add, add to that this, the, just the lack of job stability or the uh, economy, the uncertainty there. Perhaps you lost your job and you were worried that you're going to, like, can I find a job? Or <laughs> you graduated and you're like, okay, this was probably the worst time ever to graduate. And I, now you're trying to find a job and how scary that's been. And then perhaps, and I know some of y'all have, really quite a few people have in our church family. You had a loved one, friend, family member die this year. And like all that stuff, I mean, it's, it, it, it's so scary. And it produces so much fear. I mean, we, this year has caused so much fear for us, hasn't it? Fear for your safety, your health and safety. Fear for your kids' health and safety, your parents' health and safety. Fear about your job, fear about losing a job. Fear, I, mean, I mean, fear about the economy. I mean, just all keep going on. It's just so, like, huh, what a year. It's caused so much fear. And so that's why this year kind of feels weird trying to get into the Christmas spirit, right? I mean, celebrating Christmas. It just feels a little bit odd because, you know, in a way, Christmas and celebrating Christmas feels a little tone deaf, when compared to the rest of the year. It just doesn't fit. Like I said earlier, Christmas and nightmare just don't really go together. They shouldn't go together. 
But you know why they don't go together? Because it's, it is true. Christmas and nightmare don't go together. But do you know why? It's because what we're celebrating at Christmas, friends, has the power to end or overcome the things we fear. That Christmas really is meant to overwhelm our fears. That because of what we're celebrating on Christmas, the nightmares should end. The, the things that we fear should be over. That's why they don't go together. I mean, you remember what the angel declared to the shepherds on the very first Christmas? What were the words? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because why? Because I bring you good news that will, be, that will cause great joy for all the people. And what is that good news? Well, the good news is that the king has come. The one true king, Jesus Christ, has come. And it's that news that can overcome our fears. And so today, as we continue our series, The King Has Come, we're going to look at two characteristics of this king. We're going to look at two characteristics of Jesus. And, we're gonna, and I want to help us see how these two characteristics, when held together, really do have the power to lessen our fears and increase our peace. These two characteristics are that, that Jesus, the king, is all-powerful and that he's good. That he's all-powerful and that he's good. And if you really do believe that, if you know that you know that you know that that's who he is, then like I said, it can bring you peace. It can decrease, perhaps even eradicate your fears. So, Let's begin with asking the question, spend some time exploring, like, is Jesus, is the king really powerful? Like, how powerful is he? And I know, I mean, if you grew up in church, you know what I'm going to say. Yes, he's powerful. But what I want us to do is look at two, a section in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4 and 5. And we're going to look at back-to-back-to-back-to-back stories that Mark uses to highlight just how powerful this king is, just how powerful Jesus is. Now, for sake of time, I'm not going to be able to read all of this, but I, I do want to encourage you to go to Mark 4 so you can at least follow along because we're going to look at at least parts of each of these stories. And so as you go to Mark 4, let me just set the stage for you. The first is this, that, that Jesus, that these stories all come off the heels of Jesus teaching all day. He's been teaching, he's actually been teaching on a boat, pushed off from shore, because tons of people all around, so he's trying to get a little distance so he can declare, you know, teach all, all day long. And then he says to his disciples at the end of the day, hey, let's, let's get on this boat, let's go across the lake. And when he's going across the lake, he falls asleep because, here's this, even Jesus, as powerful as we're going to see he is, even Jesus would get absolutely exhausted from teaching, which Krista, family, that's why it's okay if I take a nap every Sunday afternoon because even Jesus had to take a nap after church. I, 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 like, that's a powerful insight for us as, as a family. We need to recognize that. But anyway, so Jesus, he's falling asleep. He's on this boat, and during the, while they're going across the lake, this crazy storm blows in. And it's terrible. It's so bad that the, the, the disciples really think they're about to die. And pick up in verse 37. Here, here's what it says. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped, meaning like the boat is filling up with water, like they are about to go down. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, 
don't you care if we drown? Now, in the Greek, this literally reads this way. Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing to death? (laughs) Don't you care that we're perishing to death? Like, they are scared to death, and because they're scared to death, they do what? They do what often we do. They question Jesus' goodness. Don't you care? And we're going to come back to that in a minute. But in this moment, Jesus wakes up, he hears their cries, and he responds. And look how he responds. Verse 39, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? You still have no faith. Okay, now, a couple things to notice from, from here. One, Jesus calms the wind and the water, and when he does it, he doesn't first brace himself. He doesn't roll up his sleeves. He doesn't pull out a wand, right? He doesn't have a plea to a higher power. Now he just says three words. Quiet, be still. Wind stops, and the water, the waves stop calm. Think, man, how in the world did he get a storm to stop by just saying quiet be so all the parents are thinking I can't even get my own kids to do that whatever I, I say that much less the weather but like that is what Mark's point is he's showing us just how powerful Jesus is and then we see that the disciples having seen how powerful Jesus is respond with a greater degree of fear than they felt even in the midst of the storm verse 41 They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Okay, this is story one. What do we learn about Jesus' power from this story? Put simply, we learn that Jesus has power over the natural world. Stills the storm. But Mark's not done helping us grasp how powerful Jesus is, so he just keeps on moving. If you pick up very next part, chapter 5, verse 1, here's what we're told. They went across the lake, so they just kept on trucking. And they went to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. I mean, this guy was even stronger than Sean Richards. Like, this is, Mark is wanting us to know that this guy had supernatural strength because he had a demonic power inside of him, this unclean spirit. In fact, if you keep reading, you see that there are actually many unclean spirits inside of him. And Mark is helping us grasp, okay, no one, no one could overcome this guy. But then Jesus shows up. And if you keep reading, what you see is that when Jesus shows up, this man runs to Jesus and bows before him. And that demons within him begin to plead and beg for Jesus not to torment them. To the point that in verse 12 we read this. The demons beg Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And so he, Jesus, gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And then you see that all the pigs then went cliff diving. And it's really a really kind of weird part of the story. But here's the point that Mark is making. This man who no one could overcome bows before Jesus and the demons within him have to ask Jesus' permission to go where they want to go. 
And Jesus, without breaking a sweat, frees this man from the demonic powers that enslaved him and sends the spirits on their way. What do we learn about Jesus' power from here? Jesus has power over the supernatural world. But Mark's not done. After all that happens, people from the nearby town come and they see this man in his right mind. And they kind of freak out. Because they recognize, okay, if Jesus is more powerful than what was in this man, then that terrified them. And so they actually asked Jesus to leave. And so he does. And he gets back in that boat with his disciples and he heads across the lake again. And then Mark 5 verse 21 picks up the story. He says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus fell at his feet. And he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying Please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. Live. So Jesus went with him. But Mark tells us there's this large crowd around Jesus, and so he's having to wade through this crowd to follow Jairus back to the home. And Mark also tells us that in this large crowd is a woman who's been sick for 12 years. She's been bleeding for 12 years. And he gives us a little bit of insight into what this woman's life had been like. In verse 26, he says, um, She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. But this woman had heard about Jesus' power. And so she had sought him out, and she's in this crowd, and she's just hoping that Jesus has the power to heal and specifically to heal her. And so Jesus passes by, and she reaches out, and she touches Jesus, and immediately she's healed. She feels in her body. She's completely healed. And then in verse 30, we read this. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, And he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And his disciples are like, Jesus, are you serious? We're wading through a giant crowd. Like, you've been touched a million times. And what do you mean, who touched you? Let's keep going. This girl's sick. But Jesus doesn't keep going. He stops. Verse 32, Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. See, she had spent all the money she had. She'd seen every doctor she could. And she had only gotten worse. But then she just reaches out and touches Jesus, and she's completely healed. Friends, what do we learn about Jesus' power from this story? Simply put, Jesus has the power Jesus has power over sickness. Jesus has power over sickness. But Mark's not done. The story continues. Right off this, right, as, right off the heels of this, Mark says, while Jesus was still speaking, speaking to this woman he had just healed, some people come, or some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? 
Now, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Which I like, can you imagine? You just hear that your daughter's dead and, and Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid. Like, every parent knows that's impossible, Jesus. Like, in the face of the greatest fear that any parent has, you're going to tell me not to be afraid? That's what he says. Don't be afraid. Even in the face of fear, don't be afraid. Just believe. Then Jesus brings Peter, James, and John with him, and he goes to Jairus' house. And it's full of people already mourning this little girl's death. But then verse 40 tells us this. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. And we would have been completely astonished as well, wouldn't we? And what do we learn about Jesus' power from this story? Jesus has power over death. Jesus has power over death. Now, okay, in these back-to-back-to-back-to-back stories, they, they highlight two things I just want to make sure you don't miss. The first thing that they highlight is the scope of Jesus' power, right? I mean, he has power over the natural world. He has power over the supernatural world. He has power over sickness. He has power over death. Incredible. But they also highlight, if you will, the power of his power, <laughs> okay? Because Mark goes out of his way to make sure that we understand that none of this was hard for him. Like, all of this was easy for Jesus. The storm, he says three words, quiet, be still, it stops. The demon-possessed man who no one could overpower, Jesus just gives permission to the demons and they leave him. The woman who no doctor could heal for 12 years, she spends all she has, she can't get fixed, she reaches out, Jesus doesn't even know it. (laughs) She touches him, he heals her. The girl's dead, Jesus speaks tenderly to her. Little girl, get up. She rises again. Friends, in light of this, we can answer the question, is is the king powerful? We can say, absolutely, he is powerful. Not only is he powerful, he's all-powerful. He's the almighty king, the almighty God. And what that means for us is that Jesus has the power to overcome anything you fear. He's capable of overcoming. He has a power to overcome anything you fear. Yet, in light of that, right, the natural response, the natural question that comes to our mind is this. Okay, well, if he has all that power, and yet a lot of the things I fear still come to fruition, what's the deal? Like, he might be all-powerful, but is the king good? And if you're asking that question, I'll tell you, that is a very fair question. Like, that's a, that is, I understand why you ask that. And I want you to know that there are a lot of people this year in our church that have asked that. I would be one of them. Yeah, I just struggle all the time. We all struggle with this question at some point in time or another. God, are you, are you good? Are you, why would you let this happen? 
And I just want to say to you guys that if you struggle with that question, that's okay. There is no judgment here. And what we would say is please don't keep that in. You need to voice that. We want you to voice that so that we can help each other. Think through this and take it to God. But this is the question. If, if he has power over all the things that we fear, and yet the many of the things that we fear still come to fruition, is he good? And friends, I'll tell you, this is why I am so thankful that this nightmarish kind of year ends with Christmas. Because Christmas and the cross are the best answers this question. They provide the best answers to this question. See, the reason we can have confidence that the king is good is because he's come and because of what he has done. For Christmas and the cross show us that God is not distant or uncaring. They serve as proof that he loves us and cares about us so much that he has entered our world. That God took on flesh to be with us. And in doing so, he experienced the pain and brokenness of this world firsthand. To the point that the king who has power over death was beaten and flogged and hung on a cross and died. Us. You remember the question that the disciples asked Jesus in the boat during the storm? Do you not care that we are perishing to death? Friends, that's the question that Jesus answered definitively for all people by coming and dying for us. See, through Christmas and the cross, Jesus has declared, Yes, I care that you're perishing. I care that you're perishing so much that I have voluntarily come to perish in your place. So that whosoever believes in me shall not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, is the king good? Yes, he is good. Yes, he is good. And we can know that because he has come and because of what he has done. For he's the all-powerful and good king who has come and overcome. And friends, the more you trust that he is both of those things, that he is good and that he's almighty, that he's good and that he is powerful, the more you believe both those things, you're going to experience far less fear and a far more peace. And listen, that's what Jesus wants for you. That's what Jesus wants for you. That's why throughout the stories of Mark 4 and 5, he keeps bringing up faith. He keeps going back to faith. Because in these, uh, in these stories, what you see, the disciples are afraid for their lives. Jesus stops the storm, and then he turns to them and says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And Jesus speaks to the woman who reached out to touch him in order to be healed. And he commends her for what? For her faith. And when, G when Jairus hears his daughter has died, he says to him, Do not fear, only believe. In these stories, Jesus makes the point that the remedy to fear 
is faith. That the remedy to fear is faith. But hear this. It's not a blind faith or an abstract faith. Not a, hey, I'm just going to be optimistic and hope that things are going to get better kind of faith. No, it is a specific faith based in the character of the king. That he is all-powerful and that he's good. That's the remedy to fear. That's what has the power to bring you peace, even in the most fearful of circumstances. I don't know about you, but when something happens <laughs> that scares me, like say a loved one is sick, or you know the giving at the church isn't what we expected it to be, which are two things that are scary right now going on in my life. When I have you know, encounter things that produce fear in me, my tendency is to just let my mind sit on those things. You know, do you ever do that? Like we don't use this word to, to describe that process, but really, in, you know, all, like functionally, what, I'm, what I do is I, I meditate on a thing that is causing me fear. And I just go down that rabbit hole of all of the what-ifs, and I play out all the worst-case scenarios. But friends, when I capture my thoughts and I shift them from all the what-ifs to what is, it's a game changer. Because when I start thinking about what is, where I go is what is true about God. And I start thinking about God's never-changing character. And thinking about his incredible power, that he has the power to overcome everything that I fear. And his incredible goodness, that he loves me so much that he came and he died for me. And that he rose again, again, showing us he can overcome everything we fear, even death itself. And so when I start thinking about what is, and I go to the character of God, like I really do experience far less fear and far more peace. And guys, that could be your experience as well. And Jesus wants that to be your experience. He wants you to be freed from fear and full of peace. And guys, because King Jesus is who he is, you don't have to be afraid. Even when you're facing something to be afraid of. Like that is the freedom found in Jesus. It's incredible. And so instead of responding to fear-inducing circumstances with fear, we, because of Jesus, because of who he is and what he has done, we have the freedom to respond to scary situations with, I'm going to hit three things real quick. First way we can respond is with prayer. Namely, prayer that he will remove, he will remove the thing we're afraid of, the scary thing. He will, that he will remove them, these fear-inducing circumstances. And all four of these stories, that's what you see Jesus doing. People are crying out to him or reaching out to touch him or asking him to heal their daughter. and Like all these things. It's like, Jesus, will you, this is so scary. Will you remove this? And he, and he does it. Because certainly he has the power to overcome the things that we're scared of. So we pray. Trusting that he has this power. Because I think about like how all the prayers that we've prayed this year about God, like God overcoming, God, God providing a cure to this disease, COVID-19. And I know, like, the, like, I want to be clear, like, God works through people so much smarter than me 
in the medical field and all the scientists and all the doctors. But because when you read, like you, you probably read the stuff, like when you read of the medical journals, you read what doctors are saying, like across the board, they are surprised, I guess is the word I would use, on how incredibly effective the vaccine is. And if you read what people were saying, how far, how long we were expected to have to wait for a vaccine, to think that we got it within a year. Like people are surprised by that. Because I look at that and think, man, God answers prayers. He works through people, but he's the one ultimately answering these prayers. He's powerful enough to remove the things we've been praying for him to remove. And I think we should take encouragement in that. Now, I know it's not done yet, right? So don't act like there's a cure, it's all done. We can just walk around without masks because we can't. But it's coming. Seems like it's coming because that is amazing. Jesus has the power to remove the things that we're afraid of. And so we, we face them, we pray. God, will you remove this? Knowing that he can because he's that powerful. But the other way that we respond, it's much harder. <laughs> because the truth is, he doesn't always remove the things that scare us. But because of who he is, we can respond to those fear-inducing circumstances that he hasn't removed. We can respond with faith because we can trust that he can still use them. So we pray for him to remove them, but if he doesn't, we can respond with faith that he can still use them. And again, like I said, I know that this is extremely hard. I mean, I've been there. I know how hard this is when he's not removing them. But it does bring hope to me when I remember that he can still use them. And nothing reassures me of this more than Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. You remember, right before the cross, Jesus is pleading with the Father to not have to go to the cross, not have to... To bear the cup. He prays, Abba, Father. He said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Meaning the cup of God's wrath that would be poured out on him as he paid for our sins. But God the Father didn't remove the cup. Instead, Jesus went to the cross and, when he, and what he dreaded came to be. And hanging on the cross, he was forsaken by the Father so that you and I could be reconciled to the Father. And then on the third day, Jesus rose again. And God used what he didn't remove to accomplish the greatest good that has ever been done. And friends, similarly, God can use what we fear to bring about great good as well. In fact, Scripture tells us, Romans eight twenty eight, In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And all things, even the fear-inducing circumstances, even the things that scare us, the things that we don't want to come true, even when they come true, he can work through that for good. See, that's how powerful he is. Um, Tim Keller says, if you have a God great enough and powerful enough to be mad at because he doesn't stop your suffering, you also have a God who's great enough and powerful enough have, a, have reasons that you can't understand for your suffering. His point being, if Jesus is great, then not only is his power great, but so is his wisdom. 
which means he's wise enough to have a reasons to let you and me go through hard and scary things that we can't understand. And so sometimes he won't remove the things we fear, but we, based on his character, have absolute reason to respond with faith that he can still use these things to bring about good. And guys, that can reduce your fear and fill you, fill you with hope. Third way we can respond when we face fear-inducing circumstances is this. We can respond with hope because he will end, one day he will end them completely. Because our king is all-powerful and good, he will one day end all the things that we feared completely. One day, because his victory over sin and death, the king will say from his throne, I am making all things new. And all will be made right. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain. For the things that produce fear in us will be no more because our all-powerful and good king has come and he is coming again. Friends, so I wrap up. Let me just say this. I know it's been a really hard, in some ways, a really nightmarish year. But because of Jesus, we can end this year full of peace instead of fear. Like we really can. That's what Jesus wants for you. That's what I want for you, but I mean, that's really, that's what Jesus wants for you. And so as we celebrate Christmas this week, don't miss what Christmas tells us about the character of our King. Friends, call your heart to believe more fully that he is good and that he is great. And let him overcome your fears and replace them with peace. I have told you these things, Jesus would say. So that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart, friends, because he has come and he has overcome. So we do not need to be afraid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, will you help us believe this? Yeah, I know you want us, you want us to believe it so that we can be freed from fear and experience the incredible joy, incredible peace found in Christ. But God, we struggle believing this. And this year especially, it's just been such a hard year for so many of us. And it's not over. And a lot of things that we've been fearing, we still fear. But God, I'll pray that you would help us enter into 2021 in light of what we're celebrating this week. And that because Jesus has come and because he has overcome, we really will realize that our faith will increase, that we will get that we do not have to be afraid, even when we're facing things that are scary. God, help us believe that you are who you say you are, that you are our all-powerful, almighty good king thank you for coming that we could be set free that we could be saved that we could be reconciled to you so that we don't have to be afraid we love you God be honored now as we worship you Amen. thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast we hope this ministry has blessed you 
you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.